You know, sometimes we like to improve the quality of our lives, and there are any number of ways one can do that. Uh, one of my personal favorite ways is, you know, going to those seminars or, you know, getting a coach, you know, and it's becoming an increase those personal growth seminars, classes um, in a pre-pandemic world. They were becoming an increasingly popular way to spend weekends, you know, go to a seminar, get your life together. Good stuff. But something that occurred to me very recently over the past year that we've been in a pandemic is that this idea of, you know, coaching and instant wellness and, you know, just getting a life you love, like just right off the bat, it's prone to a lot of uh, toxicity, as unfortunate as it sounds, and uh, myopic thinking in terms of the way we treat each other and the way we understand coaching as individuals. I personally got inspired to talk about this because um, I was very much into pro personal growth and development uh, throughout my teen years and my early 20s, and it's not that I vied away from it. Like, I still uh, am talking to, you know, a healer to this day to heal trauma from my past, but since I've been around this industry for a long time, I think it's time to really be critical but and firm but fair with this issue. Um, on that note, welcome to So To Speak. Uh, my name is Evan Mead. I'm Lyle Groniker. And uh, we have some two awesome guests. One of them is uh, making a return from our uh, part two-part uh, Trump uh, critique um, from uh, the election cycle. Uh, we'd like to welcome back Jody Aberdeen. And now, Brandon... Um, Shikafoni. Sh um, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last name, Brandon. Um, did I say? Did I get it right? Shikafoni. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Shikafoni. Okay. Um, there you go. Awesome. Um, so I'm gonna let the two our two guests uh, introduce themselves. Uh, whoever wants to go first. <clears throat> Rock okay, Jody, since you're the returner here. Okay. All right, sure thing. Thanks, Evan. So, yep, so my name is Jody Aberdeen. I work as a professional writer, although what's, again, timely for this episode is that I am, in fact, returning to the coaching world uh, full-time. Prior to this, I've had a lot of involvement with the same seminars that, so, you know, we're going to discuss by other names uh, in this in this episode. And uh, personal growth has always been a part of uh, my life, at least my grown-up life. And so I'm transitioning into a full-time uh, coach that certified and evolved NLP through Avalon Empowerment based in Toronto, Canada. And I'm a veteran of signpost education, as we will be referring to them, which yes. is where I met Evan. Uh, yes. Again, we're, it's not the real seminar's name, but we don't want to get sued. So <laughs> we're just calling it signpost. Okay. And, um, and really just, um, yeah, I'm, as I'm transitioning to that, I'm grappling a lot with the issues we're going to be talking about in the show. You could learn more about me and what I do at my website, www.jodyaberdeen.com. And I'm sure this will be up in the uh, the podcast uh, description at some point, yeah. too. So we'll that's, uh, that's essentially me. We'll link that uh, in the podcast description for sure. Uh, Great. Yeah. Okay, so uh, my name is Brandon Schifoni, as I mentioned. Uh, like Jody, I've also been certified through Avalon Empowerment. 
Uh, I also attended one sign post seminar that I'm sure we'll discuss in, in the, the moments to come. Uh, I'm actually fairly new to the personal development world. I only got involved uh, in 2016, uh, which was around uh, 25 years of uh, age for myself. Um, and that's when I attended my first Avalon Empowerment uh, seminar, uh, and then I got my certifications through them. Uh, since then, I've looked, uh, I've opened my own brand, uh, Love Like You're Meant To, which is a relationship and couples coaching practice. Um, I've also got, I uh, just recently actually finished my degree in behavioral psychology. And the reason I did that is because, uh, you know, as a coach, we're not really certified or, or able to provide people with what would be considered legitimate psychological help. So if I find that my clients need something more than traditional coaching, I have to sort of refer them. But if I have traditional psychology training, psychology certification and, and whatnot, then I can help them in, in, in multiple ways. I don't need to sort of refer them off to, uh, to someone else to sort of regain rapport and kind of help them figure out their, uh, what's going on in their lives. Uh, in addition to all this, I've also done a lot of uh, stuff on the public speaking sector. Uh, I've hosted and run uh, TEDx in the town of Newmarket. Uh, I am a uh, former host of a uh, so, uh, public speaking franchise called Mo Mondays, and I also had my own event called Unbrand for a short period of time. And uh, that's really about me. Yeah, cool. Um, it's very much worth mentioning that uh, both Lyle and myself have had a history of being subcontracted to do video and audio work for Mo Mondays. So um brandon is technically a, a client of ours so it's so cool to have <laughs> you on here today um yeah, so uh i kind of want to i don't mean to put lyle on the hot seat but considering mm -hmm. how like um the three of brandon jody and myself all have had you know an in-depth experience with signpost education where as we've done a lot of at least one or many seminars with them or one or many courses with them uh Lyle, not so much. Uh, Lyle, why don't you tell your story with uh, signpost education? <laughs> <laughs> uh, very well. There's not much to say. Um, well, uh, I think this was during, what, uh, 2016? Yeah. When yeah. I was back in Toronto, I was uh, getting in touch with you, that you uh, recommended me to signpost. And um, I, I, I went to one of their uh, introductory uh, seminars, and uh, it, sounded, it sounded not too bad. They were very... Uh, it was, it was basically all stuff you hear in like when you're in school, like a lot of these like uh, personal growth, uh, motivational speakers that you hear in assemblies all the time. And uh, I was kind of queued up, but then I kind of saw the cost of it, and I wasn't really uh, I was kind of broke at the time, so I, I wasn't able to afford it. So, and, and then they were like, "Oh, well, we have other means of paying for it, and uh, we have like plans inst installed." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm fine. I'll uh, I'll be good." Um, and then, uh, Evan asked me to go to another signpost, uh, seminar, and it was exactly the same presentation. Sorry about that. <laughs> so I was so bored, I was just doodling, <laughs> I was just doodling on a piece of paper, because it's like, yeah, I heard all this before. I was a little bit more skeptical, I was kind of, like, listening to a lot of stuff they were saying, and I was kind of, I, I was kind of, like, adjudicating how the, uh, the participants of the seminar were feeling. And a lot of them really got roped along into it. And um, I, I, I was the only one who probably didn't want to go. Like, I was the only one who straight up said, oh, no, I'm not interested. Uh, 
That was the night I invited uh, uh, a couple friends of ours. Like, yeah, you had and, a, you had a friend of yours come along. Yeah, too. he did it that summer, and uh, uh, he he seemed to get quite a bit out of it. Um, okay, we're not gonna mention this friend by name, but um, he, okay. he's a good guy. Moving he, along. Yeah. Uh, so I started to get a lot of calls from the uh, signpost uh, group, and uh, this is where the story kind of takes a darker turn. And from my experiences. Uh, they would call me at least once a week, and they would always be like, oh, please, please join one of our seminars. We have a weekly retreat. Please join us. Uh, we insist. You've been to two of our seminars. Surely you're interested. And I'm like, no, I can't afford your uh, seminars right now. Like, I, like I'm, I'm stretched pretty thin budget-wise. Because uh, I was working at a janitor at a time, so I couldn't even book time off. I had to keep working. And... Um, they, 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 they started saying a lot of uh, stuff that I would link to. Um, I, I, I've heard this word tossed around with this group. Uh, cult-like behavior. And that's mainly when it comes to the indoctrination process. Where they keep trying to kind of stir the direction of the conversation back to them. And how you need to join them. And they need you. That sort of stuff. Like it was, it, it was kind of skeeving me out after a while because they kept calling me and I kept saying no or I'd hang up on them, and they were being very persistent for about two months. And I even told Evan about this. Like, Evan, these people are essentially harassing yeah. me, and I need to, I need you to tell them to back off a little bit. That was a really, it was really off-putting to hear that because, as someone who actually has coached with Signpost on several occasions, and I was in the middle of a coaching agreement with them back in 2016 up until the summer, I actually am very familiar with the process that uh, the people who... they Let me just paint a picture. Uh, the only people who get paid... Um, to do work for signpost are the office administrators who work full time at the signpost office in any given city where they're located in the world. Uh, namely in this case, the Toronto office, um, the lap, the, the signpost forum leaders, as we're going to call them, they get the, the people who lead the weekend courses get paid, but everything else you do with them. If you coach with them or lead a seminar with them, um, it's basically you're donating your own time. They like to call. They don't like to call it volunteering. They like to call it assisting. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people who make these calls and who called you, Lyle, are doing so on their own time. They're not getting paid, and they really shouldn't be calling you any more than three times. I know this because I was trained in the procedure. So who? So I don't know if that. And I actually brought it directly to the assistant senate manager. But unfortunately, they kind of put it off, put it back on me as like you know, it was it's kind. They kind of made it. They had the they had this way of making it feel like it was my fault. He was getting so many calls instead of like you know, you know, doing what you're trained to do and backing off after three attempts. I even I have well, a even qu- two attempts is two yeah. attempts too many. I mean yeah I no like no. Th- the third time is actually actually. Jody, why don't you refresh me on the rules? Because I'm kind of blanking out. Is it like yeah, they're they're supposed to stop if you request to be taken off the list. Right now, I want to preface too. I'm pretty sure this was prior to um, new laws that went into effect in Canada about you know information, you know holding somebody's information. I don't know if that's only electronic. But if somebody, if you tell somebody to take your name off of their list and not call you again, they're supposed to do that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and the procedure, the procedure is this, right? Like, if you if you said no twice, right? Uh, you know, this is the, I I am misremembering this definitely, but the ballpark, uh, whether it's two attempts, three attempts, even just one, what I do recall is that yeah, they're supposed to take you off the list, regardless yeah. if you request it. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I I took I. I complained to the office about that because I was coaching with them at the time. And it's like, yeah, you guys shouldn't have called them more than twice and it should not have gone on for a month. So, um, not necessarily on behalf of signpost. I do. I'm apologizing to you as like your friend and uh, your comrade and collaborator. Like I I personally apologize for that. They shouldn't have done that, but this is kind of the attitude that we want to feed into in this episode. Like, I call the episode I've kind of come to call, you know, cons in coaching, because if this story to our listeners rings true for anyone, it's not an, it's not a, it's, it's almost a bit of a cliche story. I dare I say it because this kind of stuff happens, this, these off-putting experiences with coaches or with, you know, gurus, it happens far too often. And I don't know which is which exactly is worse. Um, the fact that, you know, some coaches just don't take no for an answer or, you know, have a really toxic way of it's not that their 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 intention is good, their methods are just a little questionable. Like they want you to have a great life. They just don't really care um, how you get from point A to point B. So and we and I've also noticed this, um, I've noticed this with, you know, there are figures like, you know, Tony Robbins, uh, Kevin Trudeau, or even Donald Trump. Um, we're going to keep the politics to a minimum, but because Donald Trump, before he was president of the United States, he had a history of, you know, being, you know, inv- an investment guru and an investment mogul. Uh, Trump University was very much a thing. But so the reason I brought up Tony Robbins and Kevin Trudeau, they both have great messages. I've listened to their work. They have great messages and it's very inspiring, but unfortunately, they're not integrous people. Like Tony Robbins has been the subject of of, of questionable allegations. Uh, uh, Kevin Trudeau actually wound up in jail for selling a fraudulent book, and uh, Trump needs no introduction. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd almost argue <clears throat> you mentioned that they want you to have a great life, and you they don't really care. You get to point A to point B. I'd almost argue some of them don't want you to have a great life. They just want to sell you their product. And what sells more than the promise of a better life? Mm-hmm. That's very much Whether it be in finances, whether it be in, in improvement in your relationships. I, I feel like the practices of these people really determine whether or not they actually want you to have a great life or if they're just trying to sell you what equates to what they know you're going to buy. I mean, as I said, who doesn't want a better life? Yeah, precisely. Um, and that's kind of, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's a very good point. Um, but yeah, what, with the whole, uh, but here's the thing where it's becoming problematic is that, um, well, I, I, I'll tell a quick story of like why I not, I didn't necessarily cut all ties with signpost. I just, I just started, you know, volunteering for them or assisting for them less and less. And the reason for that is because. I, I was exposed to their work when I was, you know, very, when I was like 13 and through my teen years, it inspired me. Um, and through my twenties, you know, I tried to 
it gave me the courage to pursue filmmaking. Like, the stuff I learned gave me the courage to pursue filmmaking. But this is where, like, you know, around the same time I started getting inspired, I also started my... The way that, you know, I, as an individual with ASD, um, the way I experience anxiety, as I, as I evolve, as I, and as I grow up, I learn new things about my anxiety that I didn't know before. Like, because every new situation I find myself in is going to present anxiety in one way, shape, or form. So, um, there is a point where, you know, despite the fact that Signpost claims to be very diverse and very friendly um, to differences, it almost... I don't want to say that they, they didn't want to, you know, disacknowledge the fact that I was ASD. They didn't want to ignore the fact that I was ASD. They gave this me this cliche message of, you know, your ASD does not define you. And it doesn't stop you. It, it can't stop you from doing the things that you want to do with your life. And I completely agree with that. But unfortunately, if they, they, they sometimes believe that a little too much. And so one of the things that they like to do at Signpost is they like to constantly push their participants and their coaches and their seminar leaders to challenge themselves in many ways. And the, how I how I interpreted this push this this pushing was I st in 2016 which is around the time Lyle was came to their introductory sessions I was at a point where like my ambitions were beyond the, the limit of the sky so I started setting unrealistic goals for myself um, in terms of you know my film career and personal goals like in my life and one after another I kept missing because one of the things when you set a goal they always will demand that you give a, a an end date as to when by when you want to you know mm -hmm. by when you want to achieve this goal mm -hmm. and a very common goal that a lot of people who do signpost courses meet is that the entrepreneurs will say I'm gonna make you know my first million by the end of the year a lot of these people are successful and a lot of these people aren't they like to dwell more on those who are successful than those who aren't successful for obvious reasons. And those who aren't successful at the goals they set for themselves, as per pressure from the organization, uh, it's not that they're ignored. We just don't think about them very much. And that's kind of a problem with, you know, this industry as a whole. And uh, eventually my anxiety became so high and I stopped I was I was a coach for a self-expression program with signpost and it got my anxiety got so bad that um I didn't feel comfortable going to coach anymore and but I I finished my agreement I didn't bail on them they would never forgive me if I did that but so what I do is I finished out my agreement I bid my participants the participants I was working with a fair a farewell and I was happy to work with them and coach them and then I just didn't do anything related to signpost consistently for a very long time. And I haven't been, I saw that I haven't been back since. Like I'll st um, if I think that the course can make a difference for someone and they can afford it, I will recommend it to them, but I'm not, I'm never going to, you know, urge them to come up with the money because they like to sell this as it's like a now or never do or die, get your life back on track. They like to every personal growth mogul will like to sell themselves as the thing that's going to make or break your life. 
And that's an issue I have because once you get familiar with this industry, every coach and organization in this industry likes to sell themselves like that. Uh, Signpost just has that kind of pressure on steroids and that pressure is not good for my anxiety. So I stepped, I stepped, I stepped away from that. I don't, I don't like, because as I kept setting on, they, as per their coaching, I'm sorry to sound like a broken record, but I started setting unrealistic goals for myself and I wasn't meeting them. And then I felt miserable. So when, when it no longer became fun to participate in their work anymore, I did what they never want you to do. I took a break. And yeah, yeah, and I stepped away, and right. the the whole concept of uh, you know being disappointed with a product is actually it, it kind of reminds me of a story in the similar vein that Lyle showed me up, up like last year. Uh, what's the jelly juice uh, thing that? Oh god, oh, we're gonna talk about that, huh? Okay, mm-hmm. jelly juice. Why does this sound familiar? All right, story time, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, jelly juice. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're going to like this. Jilly Juice was a fermented medical supplement released in 2016 by Jillian My- Mighty uh, Epperly. Despite her having no medical or scientific background, she claimed that her discovery was capable of fungal and parasitic removal. And brace yourself, here's a list here. Jilly Juice had the medical properties to make you live up to 400 years... It could help you regenerate your limbs. It could cure all cancers of all stages, didn't matter which part of the body it was. Could cure type 2 diabetes, AIDS, Down syndrome, ADHD, autism, as well Whoa, as... Whoa, I'm triggered by that. <laughs> Jesus. As, as well as homosexuality. Now I'm really fucking triggered. Jesus Christ. <laughs> And she went on Dr. Phil, didn't she? Yeah, I'll, I'll mention that in the end. Um, you're, now, you're probably wondering, uh, what is this made of? What 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 magical properties does Jilly Juice have? Well, it consists largely of a cabbage or kale base mixed with water and pink Himalayan salt. The taste has been compared to raw sewage by previous clients. <laughs> After examination and many case studies, the medical community were highly skeptical of Epperly's claims and deduced that not only was Jilly Juice an ineffective form of medicine, but was also potentially harmful to clients, in large part to its heavy salt content. Uh, the largest demographic of those who ingested Jilly du- Juice during its distribution were often desperate patients who were diagnosed with cancer and other such terminal uh, conditions. Those who tried it began to show signs of headaches, fever, dizzy spells, emaciation, diarrhea, hypertension, strokes, and severe dehydration. On July 20th, 2017, a client named Bruce Wilmot, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, died after only using jelly juice for about a month. Uh, Epperly defended her claims by saying that Wilmot did not consume enough jelly juice and that his subscriptions to other medications, as well as consuming pineapple juice, were more contributing factors to his death rather than her product. She also wrote that she could not be held accountable for any jelly juice-related deaths, stating correlation does not equal causation. Now, you're probably wondering, uh, how can she peddle this with no, like, 
with like no permits saying that this stuff is like beneficial in any way and the fact that like now someone's died of it well she thought around that Epperly does not manufacture or distribute her product she sells the recipe and gives instructions on what to do to take it so she, she basically gives people the keys to the castle but she doesn't like build a castle for them this is how she's been able to avoid legal action several times by selling the recipe and not the actual product itself Naturally, many took to criticize Epperly and her product. However, a small yet sizable online following grew around her. Naming themselves the Poop Cult, over 58,000 engaged in social media supporting the product and its benefits. It's kind of hard to say whether it's like they were actually in support of the product or if they were like kind of like just... If they were shills? If they were trolling or if they were shills or if they were paid. It's, it, it's not easy to say, but... Petitions were made on change.org to ban this group and to put a stop to Epperly for false medical claims, and she has been reported many times to the Food and Drug Administration and the FTC and many medical boards and general offices. Uh, and thankfully, the uh, official group was eventually shut down on Facebook and is now defunct. See, it's not limited to just courses here, folks. It's, it's in medicine as well. Yeah. Uh, if you want to have a laugh, uh, she does have an interview with Dr. Phil, basically exclaiming the multiple uses that her uh, juice contains, and Dr. Phil is just totally aghast in <laughs> every single claim she does. And, uh, yeah, and she, she even has an interview with, like, the patients who were uh, hurt by her juice, and, uh, yeah, she was pretty snide about it as well. Uh, oh, I I've seen this interview. I'm not, I'm it's, not... it's, it's, it's unethical. No, she's a very unethical woman, and, um, I'm very, like, this is a kind of, like, this almost goes into snake oil ter salesman territory, where it's, like... It's exactly um, snake oil sales, sales territory. It's very exactly what it is. It's very frustrating that she actually targets people who are very desperate and are very sick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's very, very, yeah. uh... That, that, that shows a lot of malice to her character, that she's willing to rip off these people and, like ruin their health as a result yeah well it's interesting you actually talk about that because i've, I've seen that also in um the finance industry because there's a lot of these mlm style uh finance industries or, or finance organizations basically they're like hey come and be uh financial planners uh get your certifications really easy to make all this money because well, you know you don't have any money and this is really easy for you to do to try and get money and before you know it, you're sucked into this thing, this MLM style thing, where where you you know you have to go out and get your own clients. There's no real instruction, um, and it's all you you kind of dug yourself this hole because you're desperate and you needed money. And these people offered you a way out, and what it appeared to be easy, but it turns out no, that's not really the case because you know you have to. There's all these parts that they didn't really go into uh, a little more deeply to sort of let you know what you need to do to be successful. And before you know it, you just, you're, you're worse off than you were when you started. Yeah, um, just for the record, I've been to at least three introductory sessions from multi-level marketing organizations. I even participated in one of them for less than six months, I think it was. I don't even remember how long, but it, yeah, it's very much the same. Like, you know, the energy, my, the bullshit alarm in my mind kept going off uh, when I was participating with them. And no matter how it, how many the thing that actually kind of you know killed my ability to get clients and to you know sign people up was you know if I can't 
if I don't believe in this product enough to sell it, and I can't bullshit myself enough to believing in th that I believe in this product, then I can't sell and I can't get clients. So there's I cannot walk around as an inauthentic person when selling this product that I think is going to make your life better. And yeah, right. I'm I'm feeling this. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff that uh, y'all have said. I, I just want before we get too far, I just want to go back to what you were saying, Evan, and just sort of comment, which ties into um, what Lyle has just brought up. There's a few themes, right, that have come yeah. up that are everywhere, and, and in addition to what Brandon just raised with MLMs. Yeah. So, um, if it was just a simple matter of these organizations being bad, uh, they wouldn't be thriving. The reason they thrive isn't only predatory either, because if, it, if word got out that that's all they were doing, then nobody would give them money, right? They wouldn't survive for too long. So that means that organizations like Signpost definitely have value. I know for myself, like, it did, it was one of the best decisions I've made because it's led me to this path where, well, all, frankly, all of us here are having this conversation. Yeah. Right? Because... At some point, I registered for Signpost, um, but here's the, I, I, my registration story is actually relevant to this. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Lyle, were you done? I, I didn't want to cut off if you, cut you off if you had anything prepared that you uh, didn't finish. No, I, I wrapped up my thoughts on Jelly Juice. I have another thing to mention, but that can be later. Yeah. Um, that was just a taster, okay. no yeah. pun intended. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so Jelly Juice, so Jelly Juice. So what's funny about that is, like, that's legitimate snake oil. The reputation was, like, that term, you know, it comes from the last, you know, two centuries ago, where it's like, you know, the turn of the century, there was this really whimsical time in, you know, U.S. and Canadian history, where around the 19, like, late 1890s, you know, 1890s into the 1910s, you had this kind of strange overlap between um, superstitious types of things, right? But it was like proto-science, it was like, they wanted to get... Um, you, you would get things like you would have simultaneously people developing radio and yeah. like, you know, you know, automobiles, but also people developing, having seances and whatnot, right? And having around literally selling snake oil, just oil, you know, squeezed out of, of dead snakes and then pitching them as miracle cures for everything. And that's where it comes from. It's like, it doesn't, uh, it, it's basically something that looks like a cure and it's not. And that's exactly what they've been pitching is like snake oil that's exactly what jelly juice is and um it, it's just something too like you mentioned like the stretch goals evan yeah like the stretch goals are good like they can as with anything this is one of those things where there's value in the stretch goals are we talking if you would sorry yeah, to interrupt you, said, I, yeah, I, go ahead, yeah. it, it, I, uh i've never heard the term stretch goals goal but i think i know what you're getting at the term I'm thinking uh, of is yeah. smart. Is it it's smart? Where you're, you're basically told to basically set these goals. You're going to be this yeah. place in your business. You're going to be this place in your career, right? I was told that it's called smart goals, which was actually a term coined in a Canadian business magazine in the 1980s. Yeah, um, these aren't necessarily smart goals. Like, I, I'm okay. not talking. It's not an acronym, right? Okay. When I say stretch goals, and I realize now as, as you're kind of calling me on it that's my term that's my lingo oh okay no worries um, yeah so that's yeah. like when i say a stretch goal it's a it literally a goal that causes you to stretch every your beliefs about yourself right yeah get you out of your comfort zone and so like you for a lot of entrepreneurs yes maybe setting a goal of a hundred thousand dollars at the end of the year when all up until now you've only grossed maybe forty thousand is a stretch yeah 
it's going to force you to take different actions that you wouldn't have taken otherwise. It's going to force you to get uncomfortable yeah. and to grow into them. There's value in doing that. Where it becomes demoralizing is where whoever your coach is, um, is basically causing you to constantly set these, you know, either you're set, either your goals are too low where yeah. you're just not really growing anyway. You're just doing what you normally do. And the coach can then say, Hey, that's a win. Even if it's yeah. a cheap win or they're too lofty, like you're overreaching because your coach thinks that you're capable of more than what's physically possible at the time. Yeah. We're not talking about developing superhuman powers, uh, but there's that belief that half the people that drank the jelly juice, you know, they bought the jelly juice and drank it or made the recipe, right? Yeah. Really badly wanted to believe that the juice could do more than what it obviously did. And the, the, the thing about the benefit of personal growth is like, if you're in that position where you're willing to believe that you're capable of more and you do follow some of the basics, you can benefit a lot from that. Like I benefited quite a lot from my time at signpost and yeah. I knew when I was complete with it. Yeah. Like I, I, and the moment that I knew I was complete with it, um, is basically the moment where you kind of like the spell wears off, right? I, I, yeah. I use this Cinderella metaphor a lot with it. It's like the coach turns back into a pumpkin. Yeah. And the minute, like while you're in, while, when you're in these seminars, right, it really does feel like because you're, you're in a large group of people and you're all kind of talking about these highfalutin concepts and you're all kind of sensing possibility. It's like you're playing a game and you know your your willingness to suspend your skepticism and your disbelief that this stuff works right is just all too you're all too willing to do that at that point when you're in it yeah what is remarkable though is that when the spell is broken you know you're complete you're yeah kind of done and the moment that happened for me was i was the assistant coach at signpost the same as you right i yeah. think we might have been in the same program if not maybe i was in the one before you yeah, you were. We were yeah. in the same program. It's just I was a participant. You were a coach. I coached the next program after that. Coached the next program. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, like, like it, again, I say this with tremendous gratitude for the time I was there, and I'm complete with it because the leader of that program, and I'm not going to name to name her, but she had said something like, "If you think your life is hard with this." Imagine how hard your life will be without this. Now, the context of why she said that was we had a meeting of the coaches. We would have a meeting of the coaches prior to the formal session with our paying participants, right? Yeah. Um, the coaches were all there as volunteers. And the, you know, so there, you get coaching experience that's actually very valuable, I think, right? It's the best kind of, it's like free training in exchange yeah. for your time, right? Yeah. And somebody who was, you know, the session took place in Toronto at the Toronto office and somebody from Hamilton was complaining that they, um, it's hard for them to make every meeting because of the traffic involved. Even if you're oh, taking yeah. the train, it's still, right, it's still time. Because they were working a day job that ended right at five, the, the session's at seven, you have to get there sooner, right? So yeah. you can you can make meetings and stuff. Oh, worse than, you know, if you're a coach, you have to be there at six. And do, yeah, you have to be there at six, right? So like, that's hard to do. For those of you not in the Toronto area, it is, it is downright okay. impossible during, you know, pre-pandemic lockdown. Um, it was impossible for you to make yeah. it across, like, you know, town across across that the corner of Lake Ontario 
to get from, from Hamilton to Toronto, it is. To get from Hamilton, time unless you have a helicopter. Exactly. Like, in what reality are you going to have? Because you have to take a major like highway to get. It's like it's like right. the Canadian equivalent of an interstate. In what reality are you going to get from Hamilton to Toronto in an hour in during rush hour? Yeah, it's just not doable. And and she was point and, she, and and the and the coach was pointing this out up to the seminar leader. And she said it's very hard to do this. And then that's when the seminar leader said, "If you think it's if you think your life is hard with this, imagine how hard your life will be without all of this." And that was when I kind of stopped. I, I kind of went, "Hmm." I was like, "I thought the purpose, because the stated purpose of most of these personal growth trainings and seminar trainings is that you go out into the world to reach people who do not have the access to this in order to share it with them." There's this kind of missionary emphasis of like going and spreading the gospel of whatever yeah. this is right whatever right and a lot of a, thought, a lot of coaches are very let me finish the thought because i'm gonna i'm gonna say it right so yeah. the the thing about that is like if she's basically saying that life is hard without this and that which implies that we gotta we gotta keep signing up and doing this and doing this over and over again i'm like what's the point it's like if i get trained at a university if i go to university and get a degree in, in like engineering or medicine right yeah what engineering or medical prof would tell me sorry it's really you know you got to keep coming back for classes because it's really hard to do you can't you can't do medicine unless you're coming back to your class every every week right yeah like that's bullshit you know that is right either we're trained to go deal with the world as is or your approach to personal development is actually trying to keep me coming back as well right yeah you don't really as you said it's like as Brandon kind of hinted, is like you don't really care about changing the world. You just care that I keep coming back and giving you my money and time. Exactly. And, yeah. and to, to that point, I think Evan brought it up earlier where he was talking about like they make it so that or they at least try to make you feel like your life can't function without this program. <clears throat> and um, that's one of the big things I feel like a lot of the coaching guys do is they're like, you need this to survive. And yeah. I can show for Avalon just for a moment. Like, I feel like that's one great thing that they do great as a small organization is that they make you very aware. And I personally can attest to this, that they're like knowing what they know and how to do what they do can help improve your life. But you don't need it to live. Exactly. And, yeah. and, and that's one of the many, many things I think they do wonderfully and that Signpost just doesn't do in the sense that, and like, I've only gone to one seminar with, with Signpost. And uh, as, as, as you know, you said, you know, you all got tremendous value from it. And I know exclusion that I definitely learned a lot about integrity through uh, the seminar that I did. But it was it was at that point where I feel like they they kind of I had a little bit of a, an experience like Lyle did where they called me a time or two or three or five. And they made it seem like, Brandon, you need to keep doing this. Otherwise, you know, you're just not going to you're not going to live your best life. And I'm, just, I'm sitting here like thinking, like, watch me. Yeah, okay. Watch me. I act. Yeah, no. Watch me. That is exactly one of the things that uh, I would say. Just watch me. When I hit my moment, there. When I hit my moment where uh, I said I was done was actually was not that I was like done. Like I, it wasn't like a breakup where I just like okay, I'm not going. I'm just gonna. I'm not. I'm done with you. I just stopped going to their sessions for a very long time. Um, you know, I, you know kind of half-mindedly said i'm gonna quit my job i was working a, a full-time retail job at the time and uh my i said that in in this in this pre 
post-mortem coaching session, the seminar leader said, what's something you guys can really do to challenge yourselves? And I got sick of, you know, coming in every week hearing, what are you not doing in your life? Like, it's demoralizing, like Lyle or Brandon said, one of you guys said demoralizing. And I think that's a very apt description. So, um, a, a person, a coach I was good friends with who actually was really claimed to be really inspired by me. And I believe that they still are, uh, because I, I'm still friends with them to this day at the time they said, so Evan, are you going to quit your job by the day you said you were going to, I don't even remember what day I said, but I said at the time I was feeling a little unsure. And I said, I'll give it a go. And then they laughed in my face and I'm like, so there is very much, whether it's malicious or not, there is a self-righteousness to this business and it's it's it, it comes some it's very hard for me to differentiate who cares actually who truly cares about helping people and who doesn't i've met coaches that i can believe with my intuitive sense that yes you truly do believe you truly care about helping people and making life better for the world and for yourself but a lot of these coaches unfortunately are in it for their own self-interest and to stroke their own egos it's very sad to yeah. see um, yeah, and uh, and to that point as well, Evan, um, there is a predatory aspect to the personal growth and coaching industry. It is almost geared towards people who are desperate. So I want to go back to Lyle talking about the Jilly Juice, right? Yeah. One of the people, one of the people, um, the types of people that they would target were cancer patients. He said, right? Is that or terminal illness? Yeah. Yeah. Did they hear, did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So when you're when you're in the you know you the doctors have basically told you that every they've done everything that they can do to help you and that now it's just they don't know right yeah. either you're going to die or it's just going to go away but they, they'll never tell you that rather just tell you just prepare yourself yeah when that happens people will naturally turn to um, solutions outside traditional medicine which yeah. is fair you you know it, there's things that at that point you've tried everything that we know. So let's try to do some more experimental stuff. Yeah. However, the fact that she then went and the, when she launched this thing, she found those legal, those legal um, loopholes protections about like this. You're downloading the recipe. You're the one making it. I'm not responsible for that, right? Yeah. yeah. It says obviously that on some level she's aware that this doesn't work, yeah. right? And uh, it's it's something like they. So they know that they can get predatory people. They know that they can get like MLMs, right? MLMs themselves, the reason why MLMs and seminars like signposts and things like that are very similar. Like this is here's a factual one that I can name, you know, I can I can mention by name, you know, Bob Proctor. Bob Proctor. Actually, yeah. yeah, he you know, Bob Proctor is, has actually been reviled lately. Um as a as kind of in that same kind of snake oil thing, not because necessarily of his teachings, but because he was tied to an MLM company that uh, he was co-owner that that uh, was run by his wife, and he kept promoting through his stuff. Right? Um, I forget the name, but they, you know, he had been taken to task for that because they the MLM was essentially run in that same kind of format. And there's, it's not necessarily a cult. One, one friend of ours, Evan, had pointed out that it's not so much that the people who go to Signpost, that Signpost itself is a cult or that Tony Robbins is a cult or something like that, right? Yeah. It's that Tony, you know, guys like Tony Robbins, Bob Proctor, you know, the leaders in, the, in these industries, they tend to attract culty people. That yeah. is like, 
if they just turned the screws on a little bit, if they just if they just tightened them a little bit more, they could get them for life. And um, it, a great cinema, you know, and this is this isn't anything new either. This was in the pop culture. I think of the character Miss Farmer in Donnie Darko. Yeah. Oh uh, god. Yeah. We love that movie. Brandon, have you seen we, Donnie Darko? Brandon? Still there? Anyways, going to your point. Sorry, I'm having technical difficulties here. I'm here. Uh, No, I haven't seen it. Oh, we highly recommend it. But no, I'm going to let Lyle and Jody just go off on your own chat about this. Because, yeah, Yeah. Miss Farmer. (laughs) Well, yeah, well, we could could delve into Donnie Darko a lot, but I want to stay on topic too, right? Yeah. um, but like, uh, but the character Miss Farmer, there's a there is a uh, a motivational speaker in the town uh, of Middlesex where the story takes place, named Jim Cunningham. He's played with, like very excellently by the late Patrick Swayze. Yes. And Jim Cunningham is the embodiment. He's like a caricature of like those mo- those predatory motivational speaker coaches and, and and whatever that go around, right? Essentially peddling video courses and things of that nature that are like. It's basically easy solutions, right? Simple yeah. solutions to problems. But when he's later uncovered to be a, a chi- you know a child pornographer, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's arrested on child pornography charges. Miss Farmer, who is like an administrator at the school, uh, where the where Donnie Darko goes, right, rushes to his defense, saying, "Oh no, this is clearly a vast conspiracy against a great man," mm-hmm. and. You kind of see similarities lately where, like, there's a refusal to accept responsibility for the impact of what you do. Exactly. There's a refusal There's a refusal to acknowledge a willful blindness or, like, maybe you really are that, you're, you're that taken with the, with the person or with the teaching that you just have, you cannot, you cannot and will not see reality when it's given to you. Um, that obviously if, if this person that you believed in so much, what do they call it? The backfire effect, right? Um, when you have attached emotional significance and part of your identity to these teachings and practices, when the people or the organizations behind those teachings and practices are exposed to be, you know, pretty bad or pretty negative people, or they're doing something illegal or immoral, yeah, you're less like you're less likely to because you have so much invested in them, yeah you're less likely to believe the truth that they're bad and more likely to believe it's some type of conspiracy, right? Or that the powers that be, Kevin Trudeau did this, right? Even from jail, it's like, I'm in jail because my information is so secretive and so mind-blowing and so threatening to the elites that they put me in jail. They came up with these trumped-up charges, (laughs) right? Yeah. It's funny that Um, you use that terminology, seeing as Trump is a grand example of this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 then going back to our you know our, our old friend you know Mr. Trump, no longer President Trump, right? Yeah. The fact that he got there, right? Like he went to churches when he was a kid. His family would go to churches led by Norman Vincent Peale, who is one of the founding um, you know figures in the personal growth industry as we know it. And Norman Vincent Peale would give these seminars and lectures, you know, at certain Christian churches in Texas, New York, all over the states and, and parts of Canada and elsewhere. Right. And, and so Donald, no doubt, he knows how to brand himself. He knows how to create, he, he created a name for himself. Yeah. 
um, and, uh, and a reputation such that it was synonymous with wealth and success, even though much of it was not real. Yeah. And anyone who actually worked with him knew this about him. Yeah. And that, did, but that doesn't change millions of people from believing the brand. It's true. And, and that's, and that's like, and that's part of it too. It's like, and when you show like the, the thing about the Capitol riots, right? January 6th, the thing about that, that I found both kind of funny and horrifying is that the big boogeyman that they set up the tr among the Trump followers was Antifa, right? Yeah. And they, they you know, it's like, oh, well, something bad's going on. It's got to be Antifa, right? Right. So you had all these diehard Trumpists, right? They're doing what essentially what he said and raiding the Capitol building. And yeah. then when the time came to hold them accountable, um, either Trump or somebody else basically started the rumor that, oh, no, those people there are just Antifa dressed up as Trump people. It wasn't Trump himself. He was in an awkward position where it was like, okay, I think his lawyers, because you remember a couple days after he gave this speech that a lot of people thought was disingenuous where he conceded the election fine a fucking Lee. And then he said, there's going to be a new administration. I will no longer be president. The riot was unacceptable and atrocious and every single person there needs to be held accountable. Someone in his inner circle or someone within the QAnon circles started the whole Antifa did this. Yeah. But, so what's funny is this. I have relatives who are Trump people and when I made the mistake of commenting on of letting them back onto Facebook, I was off Facebook for a while and then I got a, I got a second account. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. But I re-added them forgetting why I had deleted them in the first place right it's like they commented immediately oh that's antifa causing trouble it's like but imagine this imagine you are so taken with a movement or a leader that you are motivated to do this thing right this very dramatic highly illegal downright treasonous thing right and then when you do the thing you get your same the same people who you did it for who inspired you to do it disown you and call you the bad guy yeah it's right? it's truly I mean, it's just mind blowing it, but it that is. is that is the degree to which like this predatory aspect because really in in these are complicated times that's the understatement of like the year right yeah but in complicated times, the brain wants to find simple answers, right? We Ab just don't have the bandwidth or the load to deal with the complexities yeah. a lot of the time, especially if they're hitting us at home with like our money, with like our physical well-being, like with the with the virus, right? Yeah. Remember the first day, all these guys were basically saying, you know, they, that this virus was a hoax. Some mm -hmm. people are still saying that, even as people are dying around them. There's people who are dying in the hospitals on respirators. And they, they were saying, this isn't real, this isn't real, the doctors are doing this to me, right? Yeah, yeah and unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot of people in my uh, my own personal community who I I used to look up to as, as personal empowerment, personal development uh, gurus and leaders and thought leaders coming out with this sort of stuff, too. And it, it's disheartening to me because, you know, I once, as I said, looked up to these guys because they were doing great things and i thought they were doing great things and now to come out and for them to be like oh that's all a conspiracy i'm like oh god yeah i don't know if i can i don't know if i can associate with you anymore yeah, yeah i tra trained with a bob proctor sorry i was cutting out there i trained with a bob proctor coach um in their in his corporate program thinking into results i actually have the, the training material i completed it yeah i'm sure i have a certificate somewhere but it was essentially like um 
that same guy, my coach for like six months, right? Straight. Um, went easily into the conspiracy stuff right away. And I think part of it is like, if you're it, it whether it's a part of the, a deliberate design on the recruitment of these individual coaches and programs, or if it just happens to be this thing, there are a large number of people who weren't served by the existing system of education, of work, of you know civic participation. The outliers basically are drawn to this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, you see, how many people have we seen um, who we met through signposts and other places? When you add them on Facebook, their education includes something like School of Hard Knocks or School of Life, right? Yeah. Some people and will this actually... Isn't be, this, this isn't to be elitist, but they didn't go to university. Yeah, like right? going to signposts, I would like to stress, if you're looking to get a college degree or a university degree, you're not going to get that when you go to signposts. Although you might, they might inspire you to go to college or university, but you're going to a class at signposts alone is not a, is not a university degree. And some people will put yeah. themselves on the same playing field as, you know, someone who studied science for six years and has a uh a, a bachelor's degree in medicine so and another thing that yeah. something that you actually kind of that actually kind of ruffled my feathers with the whole uh capital riot conspiracies but how it wasn't actually us it was antifa um i think that's a hypocritical crock of shit um sorry to be extreme with the language but and i'll tell you why just like you and i have the conspiracy peeps within not my own family and within you know uh, uh, the personal growth world. I would like to stress that Signpost itself is not a political organization. They're not endorsed by a camp, by any politicians, although many politicians, both liberal and conservative, have done courses with them. They're not a political organization. They're just trying to, you know, point you in the direction to get your life straight. So when a lot of these people fall for the easy, easy oversimplistic ways of thinking, like, you know, the Miss Farmer character from Dying Darko, when the first, when the virus was declared a pandemic and when countries all over the world started locking down, the conspiracy peeps were there from the beginning, but no one was giving them the time of day because we were focused on staying home, isolating, making sure we didn't get sick because COVID was really scary when it was declared, when lockdown started happening because we had never seen anything like this since the Spanish flu in a hundred years. And the conspiracy peeps were writing stuff from the beginning. They were saying... Oh, the reason Trump is go the Q the QAnon crowd was saying Trump is going along with the lockdowns, even though he appears to not like them. He's going along with them. He wants to keep people in their homes so he can conduct mass arrests and dethrone this big global cabal that's been secretly running the world. And blah. And when the the lockdown will be over by Easter, people will flock to churches and spiritual gatherings, and it'll be a great awakening for the planet. Do you know how many times the QAnon crowds were saying all throughout this pandemic that today arrests are going to happen? Today, the cabal is going to be overthrown. And it never happened. They were saying this up till Inauguration Day, and they're still saying this. For some reason, they said that March 2nd, 2021, Trump was going to, you know, expose some bombshell evidence that was going to destroy the Biden administration. He was going to go back to the White House. He was going to be on Capitol Hill on March the 2nd. Uh, saying he was going to get re-inaugurated for his second term that he was entitled to, and it didn't happen. They keep believing this, and they were sent, QAnon folks were saying, soon the people will rise up and take their power back. 
I want you guys to remember that. Soon the people will rise up and take their power back. And then when they actually try to do that on January 6th, they have the audacity to say, oh no, that was Antifa. I would tell these people to fuck off because they're hypocrites. For, for, for eight months, nine months, they were saying, people are going to take their power back. We're going to take their power back. Trump is going to save us all. He's going to inspire us to take our power back. We tried to take our power back unethically and immorally, and now you have the nerve to say Antifa did this? Get out of here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to pull us back a little bit to yeah, sure. the topic because I think we're getting a little too much. Okay. Um, <laughs> on, no, on that note, um, I want to kind of <laughs> talk, can we talk about cults now? Because uh, Lyle over here actually did some research into one particular one that kind of ties into what we're talking about. Yeah, like uh, a little while ago, uh, Jody was mentioning how people who are part of a following can do some pretty reprehensible things all over based on the... Uh, the effects a leader can have on them. And I think probably the most infamous uh, example of this would be the uh, People's Temple, also known as uh, Jonestown. So I have a little report on them. Uh, The People's Temple was a religious organization, which is what I'm going to call it, uh, which was formed in 1954 by Reverend Jim Jones. It was one of the first religious groups to be racially progressive, allowing a multicultural following as well as integrating socialist and communist beliefs into Christianity. Unlike Christianity, however, Jones ordered all of his followers to treat him as a, ma- as a, as a man of divinity rather than worshipping a deity such as uh, Jesus Christ, and wanted to become an iconoclast. Essentially, Jones had constructed a cult of devoted worshippers who would heed his every order or be punished for any insubordination or disillusion very swiftly. Um, an example of some of the things he did, uh, while, uh, during his tenure in the, in the, uh, church, Jones would often give faith healings to attract people, gain income, and help develop any of his numerous projects. Uh, followers were aware that his healings were fake, as he would often take chicken organs and other animal parts and pull them out of the flesh of his peers, stating how he is ridding their bodies of all malignant tumors. The money, however, was a necessity to finance their church and give resources to the poor. And as they saw it, it was a means to an end rather than an outright swindle. You're going to hear this uh, term a lot, uh, means to an end. It was often the term they used to justify any of their actions. Uh, whether it was to like bully members into staying with their group or um, anyone who tried to dissuade uh, the opinion of Jim Jones. Um, the People's Temple began in Indiana, but soon expanded into San Francisco as well as Los Angeles. Um, in the late 70s, Jones began to curry political favor over time, using his vast outreach to help politicians who needed support by sending hundreds of his followers to their campaigns. By the early 70s, Jones was a highly regarded among his peers, receiving accolades from famous activists and politicians such as George Moscone, Jerry Brown, Mervyn DeMalley, as well as Harvey Milk. Jones even received a Martin Luther King Jr. Humanitarian Award in 1977 for his strides for racial equality and desegregation within his organization. So how about that? (laughs) After preaching and lecturing about an idealized sanctuary of socialism and fearing police or media interference, Jim Jones decided to extradite himself and his followers by purchasing acres of land in Guyana, and crafting a settlement called the People's Temple's Agricultural Project, affectionately named Jonestown. By 1978, the population of Jonestown grew to over 900 people. 
Um, I'm just gonna say like how he uh, kind of the methods he would use to get his followers. Jones took many many cues from Adolf Hitler as well as Father Divine by manipulating his followers to do his bidding. His most common trait was finding a common enemy within his group and rallying his flock to become militant and unify with him in order to have his followers be subservient. Um, things went to a head when U.S. Representative Leo Ryan was curious about the living conditions of Jonestown, and he formed an investigation including a small crew of advisors, journalists, and camera crew. After flying to Guyana, Ryan was warmly welcomed into the compound. He was very impressed by the way Jonestown was managed, and deemed it perfectly safe. Soon afterwards, however, Ryan was slowly informed by dissenting members of the temple that they felt threatened, mistreated, and scared for their lives due to the heavy artillery that the compound had procured to make sure no one within ever left. Many wished to defect from Jonestown and escape. Ryan was discouraged by these revelations, and after being threatened at knife point by a militant member of the temple, he decided to take his team out of the compound early to warn the Senate. After docking the plane, armed militants from Jonestown stormed the airstrip, gunning down all the passengers in the plane, killing Ryan, three journalists, and one of the defecting members. Knowing that the authorities would inevitably catch wind of Ryan's assassination, Jim Jones ordered every single one of his followers to line up and consume cyanide-laced flavor aid. The followers were compliant, as Jones would often order them to take part in fake drills of drinking poisonous juice to normalize the idea of mass suicide. Um, after consumption, the victims would be laid down in a wooden walkway outside of the uh, villa while awaiting death. Jones' last recorded statement read as, Die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay with tears and agony. I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear. I don't care how many anguish cries. Death is a million times preferable to ten more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. Jones's body was found with a self-inflicted headshot wound in his right temple. In the aftermath, 918 people had died. 276 of them were children. It is the largest death toll of American lives in a deliberate act up until the 7th, September 11th attacks. The horrific event later coined the term drinking the Kool-Aid as a result. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's a worst-case scenario, folks, though, just for those of you listening at home. Well, it's an example of how things can escalate. Yeah. When, when put in the wrong hands. So, like, that's um, kind of ties into, you know, everything we're talking about here. Like, I know that was very uh, hard to listen to, but... Um, yeah, how how are you guys feeling over there? Are you good? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. As as uh, as Lyle was reading, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I did learn about this years ago. I just I, I put it out of my head. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I, did, I did a lot of research yeah. about cults when I was in high school, so I learned a lot about uh, him as well as others, such as like Heaven's Gate and Branch Davidians. So yeah, yeah. So. I think it is worth mentioning that, you know, um, a lot of the organ, this is why, like, cause people are so scared of cults that they often associate organizations with having like cult like tactics, like with signposts, uh, signposts actually has a well-prepared response to the claim that they're a cult. They don't fit the description of the cult by the 
like logistical definition of a cult, but I would agree that some of their tactics come come across. Yeah, as... well, I'm going to uncharacteristically come to Signpost's defense on this. Sure. Because, right? <laughs> um, I mean, like, again, if it was just a simple uh, a decision as they're just evil and we shouldn't do them, then we wouldn't even be talking about them. Again, yeah. there's value in what they teach, right? Sign, you know, th- one of the characteristics of cults is that... Um, they take you away from your family. One of the first things that signpost does when you're done the weekend is send you home. And they call you. No, they won't <laughs> fact, just send you first, home. The first thing they do within the first three hours, they want you to call your relatives and basically just clean up stuff that you have to deal with. Yeah. Right. That you've left undone. And this is good. And in a way I was listening to another, um, there's an interview that Will Smith did with Jay Shetty. Um, that's on YouTube that recently got posted. And he was talking about his father and how, um, Will Will's father had gotten a terminal diagnosis and they had the conversations, right? Except that then his father ended up living well beyond the prognosis, right? For a few months, a few more months. And then Will said that every day, every day that they had was a gift. And they said they made sure every time they said goodbye, they didn't leave anything uncommunicated, right? And that is a way to live. It's good. And Signpost encourages you to do that, to basically clear up the shit with your people you love, that you say you love, right? Um, while they're still around to do that, and so that they're they're, they're there to hear it. So there's value in that. And so, like, uh, if it was a cult, they would be telling you to stay away, right? In in fact, like, the the emphasis on having, whether it's signposts or some other place, right, the emphasis on having you go out into the world to make changes, you know, it seems to be more of a... You know, it, you're, it's more of an evangelical, Not I'm not talking about the brand evangelical, but in terms of the small e evangelical approach of like going out and spreading the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And that in a way is not like, that's that's far from cult-like behavior. Cult-like behavior says we're special and uh, we're exclusive. And usually there's a, it, it's, you know, there's a, there's not just a cult in that case, there's a cult of personality. So I want to go back to MLMs for a second. Yeah. Right. They're they're all connected into this because um, I was involved as a distributor and with uh, with two MLMs and I ended up most the only reason I, I kind of picked them in the first place was because I got free product. Right. Right. Like you, of course. You pay the money and you get you get like a hundred you get like three hundred dollars worth of product for like fifty bucks sixty bucks or whatever. Right. You're supposed to sell it and make your money back, but I just kind of took it. Right. Just coffee. <laughs> and, um what's interesting there is like they would have oh we, we have do you guys want to get on the phone with a billionaire well we have the billionaire he's, he's the head of our company calling right oh yeah and it's like this is the kind of people that get it's like you want to say you talk to a billionaire it's like that doesn't appeal to me you know what i mean but it appeals to a lot of people and then when these people who run the companies come down they just usually in the trainings, they've had weeks of talking about, you know, John Smith was this. John Smith is so great. John Smith is that. You get people showing up to meet the head of the MLM company who's dropping by for a visit, and they're treating him like a friggin' movie star. Oh, yeah. Right? This oh, is... one minute, I got autographs. Oh, my God. You see people, like, they're at a Beatles concert almost, yeah. right? It's like, like, you see those pictures from, like, the, the, the 50s, right? The girls just losing their shit over the Beatles. 
They're yeah. losing their shit over some corporate guy that nobody outside the organization yeah. knows. Yeah, now, right. believe it or not, there was a time, sorry to go back to Trump, but there was, a, believe it or not, there was a time long before his presidential and political career where being in the same room with him was, you know, a rank of honor. Like, to say you mm-hmm. cross paths with him. To, I remember oh. in, in the mid-2000s, like five, 10 years before he eyed the presidency, my mom went on a business trip to New York and she said that she almost got into an event where Trump would have been present. And at the time, that was cool because we associated mm-hmm. him with wealth, with power, with the dream life. Uh, it, it, yeah, it was just, it, it, that yeah. just, that's the kind well, of what popped into I, my head. And you know, I, one of my close friends, uh, one of my fraternity brothers in university had gone to New York with his wife, happened to be eating at a restaurant where they spotted Donald Trump at a couple of tables down, right? Yeah. Now, this friend is a he they're not exactly well off, right? Like they're they're doing good. Yeah. But, you know, nonetheless, you know, not compared to Trump, but nonetheless, he the guy called, you know, my buddy called the waiter over, said to buy Donald Trump a drink, right? Saves oh, okay. from us. So the guy did. Trump, you know, apparently Donald um, got the drink and the, the server pointed over to where my buddy was sitting, right? And his wife and Trump waved at him, right? And right. this is like circa, again, like circa 2000, 2001, around the same time, right? Yeah. And apparently Donald came over and shook his hand, thanks for the drink, and then and, and got to meet his wife, and they, they had a five-minute chit-chat, right? Yeah. And by, by my buddy's account, it was very pleasant. Yeah. Right? Very pleasant thing. And, um, but it just kind of goes to show why, like, a blue-collar worker, you know, who's uh, on, you know, this, this trip to this restaurant for him is a treat for Trump. This is basically like a snack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, like a three, you know, three-star restaurant or whatever. Yeah. There's um, a... But he's still willing to buy him a drink. Why? Why, why do you want to meet this person? All he, all he did is he made money, but, it's, yeah. but that's, but he set up, he set up his, um, his cult of personality that yeah. way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, so, for... and, and, and again, sorry, Brandon, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, that's okay. I was going to say to, to a degree, I get it because, there, there is a lot of value in that whole it's not what you know, it's who you know thing. Like that, there is endless stories of, of people uh, benefiting based on who they know and who they had a chance to talk to. Um, that said, there, there's, uh, there's a call following in the sense of I want to be this person. I want to have the kind of wealth that they have. That's great. That's phenomenal. But you also have to kind of look at and this is where people sort of get lost in, in the translation of things, is what did that person have to do to make their money? Yeah. You know, what right. kind of what kind of practices have they done? What sort of a predatory thing? And yeah, you you can have all the money in the world. But is that the kind of person you want to be? Is that the, is, do you want to look in, in the mirror, you know, in, in 10, 20 years and be like, look, I have billions of dollars, but I fucked over a lot of people to get that. You know, is that is that the kind of individual you wanna be? Or, you know, do you wanna yeah. do you wanna make your money with integrity in your heart? not having fucked over these people and actually having made a difference in the world yeah and and that that kind of ties that's a great point to segue into um you know the bypassing the rampant bypassing that most of the personal growth industry does right they you know one of the big um uh one of the big kind of tenets of belief in the personal growth world right the um they, you know, I, you know, Mitch Horowitz. He's a he's a New York Times, the former head of Tartar Penguin. He's now like, 
Um, he's kind of like a punk rock scholar of New Age stuff, if you, if you haven't read his stuff already, right? Mitch Horowitz calls it a catechism. It's like yeah. an off-the-shelf... You know when you say those old quotes that don't necessarily apply to the situation, right? Like, birds of a feather flock together, right? <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's In the New Age movement, in the personal growth movement, the idea that you don't need to worry about how it manifests, right? That, that's, a, that's a catechism that we have. And... So what ends up happening is people will set a money goal, for example. Now, now I'm setting up a straw man, but this is actually, this corresponds to a lot of, we've seen a lot of people do. They'll say, I want to have, uh, I want to be, I want to make $10 million, right? And yeah, yeah. What they do is they say, I don't know how, but it's going to happen. And then they end up getting involved in all these opportunities that come their way. They don't bother vetting whether they're ethical or not. They don't bother checking in to see whether it's criminal or not. They just know that it's going to make the money. And when you question them on the how, it's like, how do you care about, oh, I don't have to worry about the how. You shouldn't have to worry about the how either. However you get rich is however you get rich. And that kind of like ethical free zone when it comes to that manifesting is how you see so many coaches get into trouble one after the other, right? Yeah. And how you, and maybe, you know, there's, 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 there's definitely a huge missing from the from this world where like they don't care for example like there's you know up until and, and you know i'm I, I know that it's coming across that we're plugging avalon but that's because like i think brandon and i are both in their training part of the reason oh, i picked sure, yeah. them is that they part of the reason i picked them rather than say t harbecker or like um james you know james canfield coaching or something like that right or jack canfield coaching is like um, they don't bypass issues like Black Lives Matter. They don't bypass discrimination. They don't bypass climate change, right, or problems. They don't deny science. In fact, they, science is kind of, there's a bit of woo. There's some spirituality stuff, but it's fundamentally rooted in neuroscience, what they do. Yeah. And, the, you know, you know they, they also see what's, what's the impact of the stuff that we have on the world, right? If I'm, if I'm encouraging somebody else to go buy another fucking mansion and the person decides to tear up some old growth forest to clear away the land that he bought with his or earned money to build that mansion. Right. Um, is that worth it? That's that, that doesn't seem to be the term is ecological that they use in our training. Right. It's like, that, that's not an ecological approach. Like yeah. you, you, literally, you, you know, you're, if you're empowered to do all these things, right. And so who you choose as your role model and as your leader, again, like Brandon said, wonderful to have people to emulate mm -hmm. but who are you emulating yeah. right and then and it's very disappointing to see so uh, uh, i'll share a personal one i have a cousin who is a very successful fitness trainer and i introduced him to tony robbins um uh, and i and tony robbins once again if it was just as simple that he's a bad guy then we wouldn't be talking about him has a lot of value you take what you need right this is what i, I always kind of say don't have one singular teacher Learn from a variety of sources, especially if they contradict each other. Yeah. You know, learn from, you know, learn from people who are scientists, learn from mystics, learn from priests, learn from shamans, learn from doctors, learn mm -hmm. from, you know, exactly. They're like, just draw from a variety of sources. What I learned from Tony Robbins is state. Yeah. And for, for my cousin who's a fitness trainer, being in a good state physically is, is at the heart of the practice. Yep. So he took Tony's teachings and he, you know, he does like one-on-one -on -one personal training and he has transformed his business. He's got, you know, several, you know, tens of thousands of followers on Instagram now. And he's like, he's making it big, 
But when Robbins came out with his kind of, you know, different take on the lockdown, which he did kind of early on, mm-hmm. yeah, my cousin kind of started sending me stuff. Because, like, now your hero has decided that this is not, this is not what you think it is. Yeah. Was that based in fact? Mm-hmm. Right? It's, yeah, so, it's, it's one of those things. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, it's fine. I was going to say there's, there's just a couple of things I wanted to, to, to point out uh, surrounding that. So first, I want to go back to, to uh, so I'm not currently in an Avalon training, but what I will tell you about them is this. There's a couple of things that even though I'm not really fully involved in a community right now, I will show for them. And this is a couple, a couple of reasons for that are, number one, um, they're not continuously trying to shovel shit in your face. So they're not saying to you, you need this to survive. Number two, they actually give a fuck about their community after you're done graduating. After you go through the program, they're constantly checking up on you. How are you doing? Do you need any support? Um, what can we do to get, you know, do you, do you want to get involved in the community? This is what we have going on. They're not trying to sell you constantly. Uh, number three, there's always a lot of integrity in, in what they're doing. Uh, again, they're, they're not telling you that you need this to survive. They're not telling you that you need this to, to function. They're not trying to build a cult following. And, and to that point, they're also not trying to... Um, they're not trying to breed a gigantic corporation. They're actually doing the work, and then they're trying to stay small. And I just wanted to clear that up for a second because oh yeah, 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 sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, 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 and I should add too. Yeah, and I should add too. There's another coach I've worked with prior to me kind of joining Avalon. With you know, um, her name is Sarah. I'm not sure how comfortable she is me plugging her this way because she's very low key in her marketing, right? But she mm-hmm. um, she does. Um, uh, she's based in Hamilton, uh, and she's she does um, you know coaching mostly centered around your body, like body yep. body positivity, yep. um, being truly authentically you, like the mm-hmm. real authenticity, not what not what anybody else says, including her is authentic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, her whole thing is this: she she was waiting to get a you know a certification with some type of therapeutic practice, right? And yep. She has it now. Um, so she combines, she's both a therapist and a coach. So you do have coaches out there who are fantastic. When I, when I, when I coached her, right, I was expecting, I mean, I was in that inquiry of getting back into this world. Mm-hmm. And when I coached, when I offered to coach with her, I was expecting like a six week program, an eight week program. It's going to cost mm-hmm. me $2,000. She's like, no, I only do one off sessions. Yep. And I was like, damn, that is so cool. Right. She's not trying to keep me forever. Mm-hmm. Because her whole thing is like, I gotta fix. You know, part the other thing about this about this industry is like, do they actually fix the problem that you came to them with? Yeah, exactly. Um, now I will I will say for signpost they did. There's numerous things that they were able to help me fix permanently, mm-hmm. right? But not others. And um, I, what I like about the new, I think there's a new generation of people in personal development. She's uh, this, this, this girl Sarah is in her. I believe she's in her late twenties, early thirties. So maybe Gen Z will come up with a different version that isn't rooted in um, just mindless prosperity gospel or yeah. you know, just just that that whole kind of gaslighting thing where it's like mm-hmm. that's not authentic. Well, yeah, that's what I really think. No, it's not authentic, authentic, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, see, that's think, yeah, and, that, and that's it. Yeah. So no, there's, see, there's that's all I wanted to say about Avalon was that they're not tr- they're not training us to sell their coaching. You know, yeah. Like when they train us, it's so we can go out and do our own thing. And then if people want to go and say, well, how do you do what you do? Well, we have these people. But we're not being trained to go out and sell Avalon, you know? Yeah, no, no. And they, what they do is actually their specialty is to train people who are exist. Most of what, like, why I joined is, like, this isn't my first rodeo, but their program, I'm an existing coach. I do story coaching and consultation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
I do writing coaching. So for people who are writing books and who run into problems, I can tell you, um, when some, when you have trouble writing a book, it's mm-hmm. not because of, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not here to coach you on English or yep. grammar or spelling. Your issue with you writing the book has nothing to do with the book. It has everything to do with the fact that maybe your grade two teacher told you you sucked at writing yep. and you're still kind of getting over that, that trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that was inflicted on you by by an educator, or maybe yeah. your parents just don't, don't believe it, right? Um, they equip coaches who are already coaches. Yeah, exactly. and that's kind of the key difference. Whereas signpost reaches out to the general public, and they'll take on anybody really mm-hmm. who signs up for them. Yeah, right. So just uh, this is the second point I was going to make, kind of moving away from Avalon, just to Jody's point. Like, there are so many people in this world that you could choose to emulate. But I think one of the big things that people need to look at is the integrity of the person, as Jody's mentioning. Like, there, there are hundreds of people that you could, like Bill Gates, Donald Trump, uh, Elon Musk, who's now the richest man in the world, apparently. And, you know, Jody and I have a friend who's going to kill me for saying this, but as many of the cool things that Elon Musk is doing, he's not a great person. He's not a good guy, you know? Like, he's and that's really doing his thing. That's really sad. Make his money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's it's sad, and it's also to be expected. We're in this, you know, the more, this is, a, you know, in a lot of ways, this is kind of, this is going to take us way big picture, right? <laughs> we are a, we're not exactly a healthy society, no. right? The way that we set things up, the way that we pollute the earth, the way that we create all these stigmas, and the way that we demonize each other systematically, right? Um, the fact that, you know, collectively everybody who lives in North America forgets that we are, we have a, we have a settler colony that's based on the bones of indigenous people we wiped out years ago. Right. Yeah. Even if we ourselves as individuals didn't do it, we have a lot of stuff in our shadow, excuse me, our collective shadow. Um, but we set up a, we set up a game in which if you play, if you play by these rules and, and, and kind of adhere to these certain behaviors, you'll win. You'll win money. Yep. So yeah, it makes it's it's no surprise that the more the more you're willing to play the sick game, the sicker you become. But you're going to win. Yeah, and that's why I think self development and self improvement is so important because I feel like as we grow, we're we're chipped away at by the by the world and society that we live in so much that our mindset becomes, how do I win, and how do I win definitively. Where no one can take away my win because I'm super protective of this win now. I've got this win. I got this money. I'm putting it away. I'm stacking my chips, um, and I'm gonna fuck over whatever I need to fuck over to keep this win, because God forbid someone takes my win away. So God forbid someone knocks me down a couple of pegs, and I think that's why self development and self improvement is so important because we're forced to take a hard look at what who what and who we fucked over in in our and I, I think this is where signpost actually does a good job of making us take a hard look at the shit that we're feeding ourselves to try and get our wins. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll play off of that too. Sorry. I'm, I'm feeling the, I'm feeling the vibe of this one. Right. Okay. Um, on top of that, uh, I think it's, it, I think moving forward, um, the contingency on, on coaches and personal growth experts and any type, anyone who's basically a guru, if you're going to do it, if you're going to do what you're doing, you cannot ignore the fact that the climate's turning on us. You cannot ignore the big picture. That you can't ignore, ignore system and systematic inequality, right? Yeah. Um, you cannot. You you just can't bypass these things. And I think what makes a lot of uh, people who hire these coaches uncomfortable, or maybe who don't hire them, or you know, that what makes people uncomfortable is realizing, yeah, 
I screwed people over, but maybe they didn't believe that they did. They thought they did everything on the up and up and didn't realize that how they got to where they, where they are mm-hmm. was a result of, a, you know, generated a lot of unintended consequences for people they'll never meet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did it. I ghost wrote, not a ghost wrote. I, I, I did a, an edit for a, an ethical fashion designer based in Toronto who has, she does, um, outsourcing for garment manufacturers in India. Right. Right. But her whole thing was to find people, you know, to find manufacturers who not only had great working conditions for their employees, but who also were environmentally friendly, right? Because like buying our cheaply made clothes creates a mm. lot of pollution for the people who make them and where mm. they live. Yeah. Um, whether it's the chemical casts off or cast offs or the um, or the dyes that end up in rivers or contaminated farmland, right? Or the mm-hmm. fact that yep. workers are exposed to that protective equipment to these chemicals all the time. So she did, you know, so we talked about that, right? Ethical business is the way forward if we want to survive, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think like it's incumbent upon coaches that if you're going to help somebody become a success, who knows, post pandemic, Maybe the value system, you know, if you look at all the marketing stuff for like self-help, like, do you want to, you know, typically see pictures of mansions or there's talk of like being wealthy or having yachts, right? Or being living that rich lifestyle. Yeah. Perfected lifestyle. How sustainable or how regenerative is that wealthy lifestyle? No, that's the same shit that's killing us. Yeah, right. Exactly. So like maybe the way that coaching moves forward into the future is, yeah, to include that ethical component, to include an ecological component that what you do actually impacts other people right and um to make sure that yes how you get success matters yep exactly anyway i'll I'll step off my soapbox (laughs) so good Um, (laughs) to that point though well i also wanted to say real quick um i say the people that we fucked over but i'm not going to get too preachy with this but one of the people that you could fuck over that they're going to force you to take a look at with in self-development that you fucked over is yourself yeah. You know, and, and the way that you sort of mess things up for you. And, and oh, yeah. like, if you look at, um, you know, people who have grown up, uh, like Donald Trump, for example, one of the theories as to why he's such a shitty human being is because he uh, he has all this, this expectation, this trauma back from, from his childhood. And, and he turned that into, well, now I have to be this big, powerful person. But if you actually are forced to take a look at yourself through self-development, and say, well, hey, I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to make that the focal point of my life. And actually, I can actually be a better human being uh, by tackling this trauma, by tackling this stuff. You know, once you stop fucking yourself over, the integrity and, and the growth and, and, you know, all of that bullshit that you've essentially made into the focal point of, of you and how you grow and how you develop and what your personality now is, kind of, you know, you can, you can make that go away and develop yourself into the person that you want to be which can ultimately ultimately be a better person than these millionaires and billionaires who are just constantly, constantly fucking over people, whether it be their workers or the world or the society or what, yeah. or the purpose of wealth. Yeah, well, um, if I could kind of jump in and say, because uh, I'm not, I've been told, because you see, as far as my coaching experience goes, I've coached with uh, Signpost, but that's, but I have, um, I run, I've run workshops for people on the autism spectrum to, you know, talk about building social groups and making friends. And I did all this based off of an idea I had for a documentary film that I was, and to a degree, I still have this idea for a documentary, um, 
I'm still trying to make it, but the whole idea is that I, um, uh, my coach, because my, my coaching experience is more limited. I've been told to expand with it, but I'm just going to say this because a lot of my career ambitions focus on filmmaking. You guys were talking about, you know, when you told me that story about how, you know, being in the same restaurant as Donald Trump and wanting to buy a drink for them, um, that's cause like, you know, these people, you know, see these, you know, millionaires and billionaires and like there's a i do get that there's a gratifying experience with wanting to be in the same room as a celebrity or in the same room as a millionaire or someone who's successful when you actually get a job in the film industry uh, and lyle maybe you can jump in and relate to uh part of this but um lyle has been on the set um of you know the guy he, he he spoke to the guy who played robin in the live action teen titans show is that correct or yeah yeah it, it was a cool so. it was a cool experience um that uh he'll either, he, uh, i'll give him the opportunity to talk about it if Maybe. he wishes to i mean he kind of gave the gist but um the idea was is like i was just dollying i was doing a dolly work for the uh show and um the guy was like the actor was like kind of you know, uh, he was all stressed i was like oh i'm trying to remember who was the guy who directed three kings and silver lines playbook and uh American Hustle, god damn it, and I kind of like came behind my dolly and I was just like, David O. Russell, he's like, thank you sir, thank you, thank you. Yeah, so, so I thought that was kind of cool, because like, Robin's my favorite superhero, and uh, I just got, I, I had a discussion with a real life Robin, so. Well, the point <laughs> is, like, you know, you understood that you're there to work, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, the point of, like, when, this is Lyle and mine's perspective, just being in the film industry, but... Because I've gone to the Toronto International Film Festival and I've networked there. Um, the, the, the feeling of, you know, being in the same room as celebrities is, while it's cool to... It goes beyond just wanting to be in the same room with them. You know, when I talk to other filmmakers, telling someone that I've been in the same room as Matt Damon or the same room as... Uh, uh, why does his name escape me? The guy who directed When Harry Met Sally... Um, Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner. Yeah, I'm just he, good at calling out names. Yeah, you that's really what, are, that's man. My you're, superpowers. You're saving the day here, man. So, like, you know, being in the same room as Matt Damon or being in the same room as Rob Reiner, which I can say I've done. When I tell that to other filmmakers, they don't fawn over me the way someone outside the film industry. They'd be like, "Oh my god, Evan, that's so cool." They just say, "Oh, nice." Yeah, we yeah. go there. Be, we see. We want to be in the same room with them because we want to hear them talk and their ideas. We don't want to just go there just to say. I've been in the same room with them. Like, it's cool to tell people. And by the way, the story of how I got into the same room as Matt Damon was, um, there was a press in, in TIFF 2015, the Martian, uh, premiered at the festival. And even though, see, I had a, I had a pass that got me into, you know, press screenings and some press conferences. And even though I wasn't a journalist, I just pulled out a notebook and pretended to, and was actually writing things down. But, I got into the first row of a press conference with a Martian where these like well-paid film critique journalists from around the world were there to talk about the movie, to listen to them talk about the movie. And there was a panel and I kid you not, I was like 15 feet away from, you know, the, 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 the main cast and crew of the Martian. Like I saw Ridley Scott as clearly as I see my computer screen. Now I saw Matt Damon. I saw, uh, Donald Glover, Jessica Chastain, uh, Michael Pena, all those guys, Chaiwa Ojifor. So, you know, at first it was cool, but then once you listen to them talk about the work they do, 
you understand that they're just people. And when people outside the film industry hear that, they they think that, you know, oh, Evan, you bet you made eye contact with gods. They're not gods. They're people. So I, I can't mm. really I can't really relate to the whole if I'm in the same room as uh, Donald Trump, I'm going to be tempted to buy a drink. I can't really relate to that because I understand that he's a human being. He's there. So I can understand why people would, you know, be eager to, you know, get autographs of celebrities or famous people or be on the same call as a millionaire. But to me, I just relate to that differently. And, um, and not yeah. the same way. Yeah. Same way yeah, in terms of like, like one yeah. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, Brent. Here, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, I relate to that too in the sense of like, if I was in the same room as like Will Smith or Matt Damon or something like that, like I would never tell anyone that story because yeah. to me it's inconsequential. Like when people say, you know, they ask the question, well, if you could have dinner with anybody living or dead, who would it be? My answer is always George Carlin. And the reason is, that's a good choice. Not only, not only is he an amazing human being or was an amazing human being, but I feel like him and I could actually have quality conversation about not just comedy, not just show business, but the world and what's going on in it and what can be done to fix things because he was just a smart guy. And to me, that's consequential celebrity uh, interaction. Yeah. I don't care if I'm in the same room as Oprah. Did Oprah and I have a great conversation? Did we actually talk about like the world and what's going on in it and like how we can make a difference? That's the story I'll tell because that's actually, yeah. that means something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm as cool as Brandon is. Like, I would, um, I mean, I, I hear you too. Like, I used to work at the at the um, the call center concierge for Amex. So we get, like, we only serve, like, the rich people, right? Yeah. And, um, like, there was always that kind of faint hope that you, including a few celebrities, there was, there was always that kind of faint hope you'd get a celebrity calling you on your queue. Yeah. Um, I do know that I have totally fangirled uh, out on... Um, social media because i wrote a blog that was once shared by the cast members of dirk gently and i was like that was one of my favorite shows right yeah. so i i mean but but i hear what brandon's saying is like if you're in the room and you're a professional right you're in that professional context yeah um uh, yeah you can't like you, you can't lose your shit that's not perfect <laughs> you know you're you're in that you're in that kind of tier of society at that point when you're engaging with them right yeah but you see i mean i want to think and this is where we're at risk of a Dunning-Kruger type of thing where it's like, we can't, you know, we like to think that we're kind of sophisticated enough that we wouldn't do that, but we don't know. Mm. I think, but you know what's funny too? I think that same quality that we're talking about in terms of the, you know, buying into a cult personality, whether it's at a seminar or something, right? Like I met Bob Proctor. Um, I met Bob Proctor when he was doing one of his plugs. Um, for that MLM company, which you know, which later on he got in trouble for. Now Bob is he, here's what was both interest, like kind of cool and also disappointing when I met Bob. Right? He is exactly how he. The cool part is he's exactly how he looks in all of his videos. The same haircut, the same well coiffed, well tailored suit, everything. Right? Yeah. That's the cool part. The disappointing part is that he's exactly the same person that he is in his videos, the well-coiffed hair and the cut and the cut suit. It's like, <laughs> I didn't meet, there was no real depth to it. When, when we did talk, he seemed kind of snarky, right? Yeah. He's like, really? What, how do you spell your name? Right. I have a picture of it, well, I did until my Facebook got deleted, but I had a picture of him, right? Where he's kind of got this, he's not really smiling in the picture, he's wincing, because I was gushing, right? <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like, I didn't know what to say. This is pre-signpost. Um, 
but uh but basically like um i hadn't gotten a sense of myself right mm. um and i think like my my hero is dead anthony bourdain right i would love to meet anthony bourdain because all of by all accounts he was that type of guy that would just shoot the shit with you and talk about restaurants and talk about you know rock music and stuff right? which he is amazing he was just a guy and um if i was in the room on the other hand with oprah i would probably find a way to make it weird i don't know because i don't know <laughs> i don't know what to talk to her about yeah, yeah that's fair okay like, hey, i'd be like hey uh, so you're in toronto oh well what brings you here like, it would just be one of those things what brings yeah. you here what are you doing Right? Yeah. I'll be honest, Jody. You said the whole thing about uh, Dirk Gently retweeting you. Like that. That you said I wouldn't be as cool as Brandon. But let me let me be honest. Like that. That's where the consequential bit comes in. Because let, best believe, if I share a podcast and it's retweeted by somebody that I, I look up to, that I think I love the work of, I'll fander all of them. So don't get it twisted there. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's good. But you know what? Is that enthusiasm? What What's funny is like that enthusiasm, right? Um, is exactly the kind of thing that, um you know can can get you into trouble right we, we, we the overall context of what we're talking about is that that desire to get recognized can be weaponized right it can be taken in a predatory sense right if you don't have a healthy functioning yeah and this kind of goes this kind of goes back uh, you know trying to trying to keep it on topic as much as we can um this goes back to some of the predatory aspects of the personal growth world where it's like they find the people whose self-esteem is rooted in people pleasing right yeah. and then meeting your heroes and then really just getting famous right and getting known um that's unhealthy that's the unhealthy part of it that's where you get people swooning over really just a guy who runs an mlm company thinking that he's like brad pitt right and it's like that's 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 really not uh that's that's not healthy either yeah but uh, uh, yeah i don't yeah. know yeah go ahead go ahead sorry yeah just to kind of uh bring this on home because i'm just looking at i'm trying to be mindful of the time i want to be respectful of everyone's time here but uh i feel like you know if we could kind of bring this topic on home uh i would kind of like want to say you know what's like you know a message we could send to the listeners like back at home and we've covered some like great topics this morning about you know different taking in all this knowledge and like personal growth and just taking what works for you and leaving out what doesn't and just letting ideas contradict one another uh, I'm going to tell a story um, just to kind of bring this on home to what we're talking about. So I, I felt inspired to talk about the flaws of personal growth and development and the toxicity and the cons in coaching because we're in a global pandemic, the likes of which we've never seen in our lifetime. And what's, go what's happening is there's a clash between conspiratorial thinking and science-based thinking. Like the person in my family who is very much into the conspiracies likes to tell me about how there are thousands of doctors who are saying the lockdowns are ineffectual, like they're not going to stop the virus. This is not going to stop the virus. The vaccine will stop the virus, yada, yada, yada. But, um, so, and, uh, I also have, um, an, an immediate family member who raised me as anti-vax because according to them, uh, when I was a baby, uh, I, my parents got me vaccinated for, the typical stuff you get vaccinated for when you're an infant but apparently according to this family member i had a, a bit of an allergic reaction to one of the vaccines where you know i was you know coughing crying and there was a swelling on my leg uh you know the size of a golf ball like when i was a baby and you know they frantically they frantically called you know uh 
kids help phone to describe what I was going through. And then kids help phone just said, you know, oh, this is completely normal. Like this is your baby's not going to die in your arms. Don't worry. And then this family member said, no, this is not normal. And admittedly, it sounds like a fear based reaction. But as a result of this reaction, like both on my, in my body and the way my family member reacted, um, I was brought up with this whole vaccines are not safe. Like they cause, they do more harm than they do good. So now that we're in a situation where the COVID-19 vaccine is being distributed and we are slowly but surely getting to herd immunity and killing this virus so we can have it not be a threat anymore. So we can go back to the way of life or enter a new way of life that, you know, is integral for the planet. Um, uh, I'm in a situation right now where if it's for the greater good of my loved ones, should I or should I get the vaccine? So I called my family doctor who admittedly is not a crack. He's not a quack or anything. He just believes in Eastern medicine and homeopathics more so than Western medicine. He cannot legally condone or condemn vaccines because in North America, if you do that, if a doctor condemns vaccines, they can lose their license. So like like they're licensed to practice medicine. So what happens is he ex- my doctor very calmly explained to me um I understand Evan I understand that you have concerns about, you know, what happened to you when you were an infant and it's unless it, it I don't know if it was medically documented because of the severity of your reaction, but I will say this. Like in North America, like vaccines are very like much the way that we deal with diseases in other parts of the world, like in Eastern medicine, vaccines are not the way they deal. There are vaccines in that part of the world. Don't get me wrong. It's just that they prefer like homeopathics before vaccines. I'm not trying to sell essential oils. I believe that, you know, essential oils are useful. Like if I have a cold or whatever, I'm going to take essential oils. I'm not going to, before I take Tylenol, but if I have something more serious, like a, uh, an infection, I'm going to take an antibiotic for that because essential oils won't help a serious infection that could kill me. So in terms of the COVID vaccine, my doctor said, my family doctor said, considering how, if all you want to know is, will you die from taking the COVID vaccine? Probably not because your reaction that you had when you were an infant was not an anaphylaxis, which is a life-threatening allergic reaction. So based on that, I called my doctor to talk about this because I want to know based on my family's reaction, because they they set it up like I was going to die and that the vaccine ruined me. But I have no long-term health problems. I have no chronic health problems. And apparently I was vaccinated. So like, all I want to know was if I choose to get the COVID vaccine, am I either going to die or develop long-term health problems? And the answer so far is no, I'm probably going to be fine. Because I have a strong immune system and I'm a relatively healthy person. I'm a mostly healthy person. So I feel like, you know, it goes back to this point we're making. Take every, take into account everything you hear, but ultimately judge for yourself. And, you know, listen to everybody. Don't, you know, conform. Don't be a, don't be a free thinker. Because I hate the term free thinking. Just take in everything and make your own decisions. But don't, don't. Try to put your biases aside. That's. I'm sorry if I'm kind of botching the wording on this, but try to put your biases aside. That's all I want to just hit home here. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. It's like knowing that about your history, right? There's a lot of folks like this. This kind of goes to the narrative around the vaccination. It's so funny you say that 
while you were talking, like before you started, I I just randomly had this thought, right? I, I posted on my Instagram. I was just like, um, in my story, I was just like, who has vaccine FOMO right now? <laughs> you know, like, because like I'm on three waiting lists for the AstraZeneca, um, right. just so I can get the first dosage done, right? And um, it, it's like it, there's there's got there's got to be. I was posting that. I was just thinking, oh shit. I'm going to get unfollowed by no doubt like five of my woo-woo friends, I'm sure, at this point for even suggesting that, you know, people are actually getting vaccine envy, right? That some people are getting it without others, right? And that goes to the narrative, you think vaccines are an evil thing and suddenly there's this worldwide pandemic where the virus is kind of like, okay, if this was Captain Trips, if this was the plague from the movie, this from like the book The Stand by Stephen King, mm -hmm. Right, with like a ninety-eight percent fatality rate within three days, right? They could take they would take more decisive measures, but it's the uncertainty around: Do you have it? Do you not have it? Right? Does it take a while to manifest the symptoms? And even if you do get sick, are you going to die? Right? Because it's in that kind of middle ground of severity, um, it's hard for some people. Some people only react to something decisively when they're sure about it does that make sense in a way yeah. yes yeah like if you like if you there's an immediate is there's an immediate threat you catch this thing and you're going to break out in okay if it was airborne herpes for example sorry to be crass but oh, if this God. was airborne like her like if this was airborne genital herpes right guaranteed there'd be a there'd be like a more militant immediate response by some of the people who are now kind of marching against this you know what i mean yeah um but because it's a there's an immediate effect right um you could recognize that but because there's that kind of gray area into that gray area of uncertainty goes your own narrative around what it is because especially when they come and say that the only cure is the same form of medical treatment that you've been saying has been evil and destructive right yeah to your body that they're trying to suppress for so long it's easy that you could come up with the idea that this was a planned pandemic, a pandemic, right? As a as a conspiracy around the world by the invisible elite, you know, the the Lord of the Flies monster, right? That no one ever sees, um, to basically get everybody implanted with this weird microchip in the vaccine. Yeah. So you see how I'm narrative is powerful, right? And, and so narrative, why I bring that up is like. That's the big, that's one of the big conspiracies that many of the people in this industry have, right? Again, when you do not, when, when the majority of people do not fit into typical society and they want more out of life, and there's nothing wrong with that, there's, I, I'm a freelancer, right? Like, I decided to do what I did because a nine to five society job wasn't for me, right? Um, a lot of what they taught me in school didn't turn out to be reality. It wasn't for me. So I, did, I didn't have the success according to society's rules. So I went into the self, you know, and, and going into personal development, I wanted to live a different life. If you, if you have that mentality of wanting to live a different life than everybody else, then you're more prone to believing these things, right? And so um, I know you wanted to bring this home. What direction did you want to take this in? Evan? Just kind of like, you know, uh, a closing remark like you know what can oh, we say remark. to okay, kind of because yeah. we're, we're in a situation right now where we're kind of in this you know peer war with those that believe that in the vaccine and those that don't and like those i that... think well ultimately the vaccine's gonna win because yeah. 
you know, uh, you know, ultimately, so my mom uh, is terrified of me getting AstraZeneca because the headlines went and said, oh, it causes blood clots. When you look at the numbers, right, the blood, the percentage of blood clots per million is so low, I may as well buy a scratch ticket. Not only that, so you're... Now it's just as great of getting a blood, a blood clot. And even if you get one, the, the clots are treatable. It's not yeah. like the fatal one. Yeah, right? but here's the thing. Again, we had some, since we launched AstraZeneca, we've had maybe like two. But yeah. this is where the, the same mindset gets in. So I want to, I want to focus, we could, again, that's a whole other thing we could talk about, right? But yeah. the point is, um, you, you know, like I am convinced that the coaching world, everything we, almost everything we've learned about coaching and personal development was based in a world that no longer exists, right? I think based on the last year of having to get this big reflection, this time out to think about what it is we really want, right? I think any coaching that focuses on a simple, on simple empowerment, right? And like my, my aspirations are not mansions. I want to own like a detached house. <laughs> you know? yeah. I want to own a detached house, find somebody to marry and have kids with and have a life where I'm not spending the majority of my time working. This, I, and I think that's, that seems to be a more reasonable goal. And I think, I don't think I'm alone in this, right? I think if coaching has got to be evolved, we've got to look at the ecology, how we affect the environment and people around us. We can't bypass issues. We need to look in our shadow all the time, right? And to see where we're doing wrong. And um, I think like the, the, to, have, to have coaching, for coaching to have value, you also need to have a real ethical code of conduct that you actually follow. And that you take responsibility for what you're responsible for. Yeah. And um, I think that's where it's got to go moving forward. And, and ultimately it centers around this. And I think I may have done this on a previous episode is like, you got to focus on the world you want to have and align with that in all of your practices and how you get there matters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, Brandon, anything you want to add to that or. Well, I definitely agree with, uh, with Evan's point where, you know, you need to be cautiously optimistic of, if you're going to go forward with coaching, exactly. You know, listen to everything, look at everything, uh, do your research, and, and go in the direction you want to go in, you know? You, everyone seems to be drawn towards, you know, the people who are involved in the call all seem to be drawn towards, like, one idea or one thought or one outcome. And the one thing I really want to drive home is that, you know, don't live for other people. Live for yourself because it's your life, and your life is going to impact people around you, but ultimately it's also going to impact who you are and how you live your life and who you are at the end of the day. Um, I'm going to say a bad word here because you guys sort of brought uh, brought it all back to, to the big picture. And honestly, I believe in socialism. Like I believe that we can eventually get to a point where the world is run not by capital, but by the, you know, by the people, by putting out, uh, you know, working together as a society, working together, not working to see who we can fuck over the hardest or the most vehemently, but ultimately working together to create a society that works and that benefits everyone and ultimately gets rid of um, class uh, cl <clears throat> class inequality and, and you know racism and, and systematic issues. Um, yeah. And I think really coaching and, and personal development is at the very core of that because we need to get rid of our own personal shit or work on siphoning through our own personal shit uh, to really start bringing all of that to the forefront to actually start building a society like that. So ultimately... You know, bring it home would be to me is like do your research, look at getting involved in coaching, getting involved in personal development. Because once you actually start removing all the trauma and 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 the 
the issues that you develop from the world shipping away at you, you know, life really opens up and you can do great things and come together with great people to build a society that you can actually be proud of. Yeah. I feel like that's a great note well to end on. Well said. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Anyways, yeah. So, um, uh, thank you, gentlemen, uh, very much for your time thank this you. morning. Um, this has been a really insightful discussion. A little bit, uh, we got a little deeper into like other topics than what what we're used to <laughs> on the show. But we're always we're always used to you know like diversity of ideas, diversity of opinions, and um, it was good to have you and to just get a lot of this off our chests. So um, yeah. Yep. Um, anyways, thank you for having me. Thank you yep. very much for your time, and uh, you. we'll see you next time. Okay, take care. Oh, <laughs>